When we look at this in, 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 uh, in the Bible today, it is interesting to me how God can use any circumstance and turn it around and bring about his purpose. And that's what we want to look at today. So importantly is in chapter 42, this is where Joseph's brothers that sold him into slavery, now because there's a famine in the land, Pharaoh listened to what Joseph said concerning a dream of the seven fat cows and the seven scrawny cows and the scrawny cows ate up the fat cows and they were still scrawny. We remember that Joseph said, you've dreamed a dream about a famine. We're going to have seven years of plenty and seven years of famine and it's going to be so bad that at the end it will, it will gobble up everything that we saved. And so, the famine was widespread. It had now spread throughout the entire region. And Abraham's descendants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there in the promised land was affected by it as well. And so Jacob takes and looks at his sons and he says, we're going to starve to death. Um, We need bread. Now, it's interesting, we've been looking at, and if you didn't get that last week, you might want to get one of these. I believe they're available going out the door, and they're called Mike's Notes. And uh, these are really good because as you go through, you can see the parallels between Joseph's life and Jesus's life. Without bread, they were going to starve to death. Without Jesus Christ, the bread of life, your spirit will starve to death. And you'll see these interesting parallels all the way through. Before we read, let's pray. Father, as we go to your word today, we just ask you now that your anointing would come on your word. And Lord, that these words would not be just ink on paper, but they would come alive by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, that you would speak to us these things and cause us to remember these things. And so, Holy Spirit, come now in your special way, anoint your word, anoint us that we would be more like Jesus. Amen. Now we find again his rascal brothers. If you remember, his brothers got together. They were jealous of him. Joseph said, I had a dream and all you guys bowed down to me. And oh, they're, they're just, their heads pop like pimples. I mean, they were angry at what, what Joseph said. And they said, let's get this guy. Let's kill him. And they said, no, let's not kill him. Why don't we just sell him into slavery? Here comes a group of Midianites, and they're going down to Egypt, down to a swap meet, and and they can just take him down there and sell him as a slave, and he'll be out of our life. So that's what they did. So Joseph is gone. They took his coat of many colors, dipped it in blood, presented it to the father, and said, look, Joseph is dead. Well, Joseph... Uh, excuse me, Jacob was in great grief over this. And for 20 years, and that's how long it was from the time they sold Joseph into slavery till now at this point, 20 years had gone by. And I can just think about the guilt that ate these brothers up over those many years. Imagine seeing your father. The Bible says, as we're going to read in this chapter, he was grieved about it all every day of his life. And imagine those brothers looking at their dad in grief, believing that his son was killed by an animal when in fact they harbored a family dark secret that they sold him into slavery. Well, chapter 42 starts out. And by this time, Joseph is now prime minister in Egypt because he interpreted Pharaoh's dream about the skinny cows and about the fat cows and about the grains of wheat. And he said, Pharaoh, what you need to do is you need to get a man uh, who's full of wisdom and you need to, to, to start so- storing up grain. And Pharaoh was so impressed with, with Joseph. He said, where can I find anybody as smart as you? You be my prime minister. And he said, you'll be right at my right hand. And it's interesting, Joseph, as a Christ type, we know that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And so again, when we look at this, chapter 42. And when Jacob saw 
that the grain, there was grain in Egypt. Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at one another? I don't know if this hits anybody as a weird verse, but this hits me as a weird verse. He goes, you know, there's grain in Egypt. Why are you sitting here staring at one another? I believe the very word of Egypt probably wreaked terror into these brothers' lives. They know that that's where he was going to be sold. And it, th- this phrase in the, in, the, in the Hebrew seems to indicate they were gawking at one another like in fear. His father didn't know. Hey, I heard there's grain in Egypt. Why don't you go down there? Why are you just sitting here looking at each other? Well, they didn't want to go to Egypt. That's where they sold their brother. That's where their guilty conscience was. By the way, as a Christian, your guilty conscience will always be in Egypt. Because you see, Jesus took us out of Egypt. You know, there's a lot of Christians who live in the past. There's a lot of Christians that don't understand what great things God has done for them. And because of that, their past paralyzes them, even as Christians. I talked to a psychologist who used to go to our church years ago. And he said, if I could get my clientele to forgive themselves of their past, I'd lose 90, 90% of the people that come and see me. Why is that? And why can't we forgive ourselves? Well, first of all, generally speaking, we're guilty. <laughs> That's why. There's all kinds of stories about people who do weird stuff in recompense, trying to make up for it. This guy writes to the IRS. I read this story in one of the commentaries. He said, this guy writes to the IRS. He said, I've cheated the government. I can't sleep at night. Here's $100. If I still can't sleep, I'll send you more. Well, that's kind of funny. You stop to think about it. Think about the things that we've done wrong in our lives and how it it does affect us and how it causes us. And in fact, sometimes when things have been done against somebody else and we we go into a store and we look across the store and there they are, we go, "Ah!" and you want to run out and go somewhere else. Guilty conscience is a bad thing to have to live with. And you'll find that your Egypt experience will always keep you paralyzed from going into the promised land. For this reason, Christ died. I've always shared this. When we look forward, we look at a risen Savior. When we look back, we look at the cross. And so we have to always recognize that we have been forgiven. Now, if there's something that bothers you in your past, do your best to reconcile it. Don't just act like it doesn't exist. This is why Jesus said, if you take your, your you go to the, the temple to pray and, and, and you haven't reconciled something, first go reconcile that with the person you've wronged and then come and make your supplication before God. Why is that? Because the thing is, see, God's more interested in our, our inspiration than he is our perspiration. He's more interested in that our hearts are right than what we might be doing for God. He wants to make sure our motive is right. You know, in heaven, the Bible says uh, in the great um, Bema Seat judgment that our works as Christians will be tried by fire. The wood, the hay, the stubble, it burns up. But the precious things that remain, the things that were done with the right motive, will be rewarded for forever. Now, I I look at that as important because, again, we want to make sure that we're not trying to placate a guilty conscience when God really wants us to do something else. I believe, again, the very word of the word Egypt to these brothers caused them to gawk one another going, oh no, dread upon us, he says. He said, indeed, I have heard that there's grain in Egypt, Go down to that place and buy for us there that we may live and not die. And that's true, again, as we go back to that. They needed bread so they would live and not die. Jesus is our bread of life that we partake of him. We remember in communion, Jesus held up the bread and said, This is my body which is broken for you. 
Jesus in the New Testament is a picture type of bread. Jesus said, I was the bread that came down from heaven. When they were talking about Moses and the, uh, the manna that came down, Jesus likened himself to that. So verse 3, it says, so Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother, Benjamin, with his brothers, for he said, lest some calamity fall upon him. You know, the last time you were with um, your brother from Rachel, you, uh, he disappeared. He got eaten, according to you, basically. And so if I send his real brother with you, something will probably happen to him too. Now, I don't know if this point that maybe, maybe Jacob was a little suspicious of his kids at this point. Very well could be. And so it says, and so the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now, Joseph was the governor over the land. And it was who, and it was he who sold uh, to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came in and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Now, you got to remember, dressed like an Egyptian. No, I don't know. But probably Joseph had all the Egyptian garb on. And this is why his brothers didn't recognize him. Uh, we find those pictures sometimes of the pharaohs and they had the headdress on and the adornment and all those things. And his brothers never in a billion years would ever think that who they were bowing to, just as his dream was, you would be bowing down before me. So it says here that they did. And so Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. Verse 7. But he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Then he said to them, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, No, my Lord, but we are your servants and we come to buy food. We are all one man's sons. We are honest men, your servants, and not spies. Really? Do you see anything wrong in this verse? They're looking at their brother that they don't recognize that they sold into slavery. And they look at him and say, we are honest men. I'm surprised Joseph didn't just bust out in laughter at this point. Yeah, right. But you see, Joseph was a true man of God. In fact, I've shared this before. There's only two people really in the Old Testament that didn't have some kind of a faux pas in their life. And that was Joseph and Daniel. And it is interesting to me that when we look at Joseph, Joseph realized God was bigger than the things going on in his life. And that's one of the things I harp a lot about because we have the idea, woe is me, all things are against me. And so therefore, God doesn't love me. Joseph had a lot of terrible things happen to him. We remember that he was rejected by his brothers. He was sold into slavery, the the humiliation of it all. Then taken down to Egypt and auctioned off as a slave. Then... We remember he ends up in Potiphar's house where Potiphar's wife wrongly accuses him of rape. He ends up in prison for years having done nothing wrong. You think you got problems. Well, I believe these things, as it says in the book of Job, excuse me, um, the book of of, um, Jude are written for our examples. Now, why is that? Because remembering 
I think sometimes as a Christian, the greater the opposition is, the greater the reward will be in the end. And so when we look at this, you see that he went through all these things. They were all very terrible things. But as we read a couple weeks ago, but the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Wait a minute. If the Lord's with Joseph, why is he going through all these terrible things, being falsely accused, finding himself in prison, being sold into slavery by his brothers? Where is God? Hey, friends, I talk to people all the time that abandon their faith in Christ because that's exactly what they say. Well, if God was really there, he would have done something. I did a funeral. I think I've shared this many times, but if you're new here for your, for your understanding of what it's like sometime to be a pastor, I, I've often told people, you either, either have to be called by God to be a pastor and really called or you're crazy in the head. Because I remember I did a funeral. The first funeral I did was for a couple in our church and their little baby had died. And I remember I was over in Filer and I remember the hole in the ground and this little casket that was sitting there. And everybody was there. I had a kind of a long trench coat on because it was starting to snow and it was cold and windy. And I remember, I remember praying, I said, God, I, you know, I lived in Southern California. I surfed all the time. And I'm in a cemetery in the middle of February with this casket and everybody crying. And I go, God, this is awful. And then where was God when my child died? Where was God when my son died? And I, I didn't know what to say other than he's in the same place when his son died. I don't understand the reasons all things happen in life. But I know if we're faithful to God, he will see us through. And for this reason, Christ died. That looks so dismal, so dark, so unbelievably bad. Yet because of that, we all live because our sins are forgiven and he rose from the dead. And so as I look at this, we realize, he says, we are honest men. Oh, really? Isn't it weird what one person thinks is honest and another one doesn't? Were they honest men? No, they weren't. In fact, as we read on here, you'll see that. They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants, we have come to buy food. We're one man's sons. We are all honest men, servants, not spies. Verse 12. But he said to them, no, you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, your servants are 12 brothers, the son of one man in the land of Canaan. In fact, the youngest is with our father today and one is no more. Imagine them looking at him saying, and the one is no more, the very one they're talking to. I often think about that. Again, a picture type of Christ in the Old Testament. I believe sometimes when we pray, we really don't realize who we're talking to. You know, I believe that when we pray, yes, he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Jesus says, henceforth, I'll no longer call you servants. I'm going to call you friends because a, a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. In other words, it's in Jesus's good pleasure to clue you in on what's going to happen. I like that about God. That's what I like about biblical prophecy. But the thing is, because we belong to God and because we know him, I think sometimes there, there's an old saying called familiar, familiarity breeds contempt. You say, well, what's that mean? The more you're around something sometimes, the less respect you have for it. In other words, you'll find a lot of times people in the electrical world that are electricians, they have told me, they said, we get so used to working around electricity that we don't think that it can bite us because we're professionals. And he goes, we get whammed every once in a while. Well, that's the truth. And a lot of times I think it's the way we are with God. Well, he's my big buddy upstairs. He's my friend that sticks closer than a brother. But somehow we can leave out the awesome respect we are to give to God because of who he is. 
We didn't, we don't realize who we're talking to. Yes, he is our brother, the Bible says. Uh, but he's also God. And I think we must never forget that when we talk to our Father in heaven. That I want to be very careful in being trite and saying, oh God, you know, and just act like he's one of the boys because he's not. He's God. And so saying, Lord, I don't want to forget who you are. I don't want to not recognize who you are in my life as you're my Savior and my Lord and my friend. Yes, he is your friend. But if all you know of him and all your prayers are only based upon a friendship level, hey, Jesus, what do you think about that? Hey, I like the red car. What do you like? You know, that kind of thing. Rather than, Lord, I'm here as a broken servant wanting to do your will. You show me what you want me to do, and that I will do for you. That is where I believe the real oneness and the real connection between you, our God, is where he begins to commune with us. I think it's so extremely important. So he goes on and he says here, and he said to him, the 12 brothers, uh, and, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, as I spoke to you saying, you are spies. And in this matter, you will be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you, let him bring your brother, and you shall be kept in prison that your words may be tested to see whether there's any truth in what you, what, who you are, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you're spies. So he put them all together in prison for three days. Now, again, we find three days. Uh, it's interesting. Jesus was in the tomb for three days. Um, then Joseph said to them on the third day, do this and live for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined in prison house, but you go Carry grain to the, to the famine of your houses and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. And they said to one another, and I like this, verse 21, we are truly guilty concerning our brother for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, literally not to sell him into slavery, and we would not listen to him. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. Wow. Guilty conscience bubbles up. This is all happening because of what we did to Joseph. It not it interesting that even though the years go by, if there's unresolved issues in a person's life, when things start going awry, a person will begin to say, hey, I believe this is why this is happening. And I'm not so sure that that's not the case. Sometimes I believe it is actually, because the Bible says you reap what you sow. And here we find, and I believe that three days in an Egyptian prison would get your attention. I really think it would especially when that was the last thing that they thought would happen to them when they went to Egypt. I'm going to plunk my money down. I'm going to get my grain. See you later. Instead, they find themselves being accused of being spies, finding themselves in prison for three days, all these brothers together, and they're all powwowing together saying, this has come upon us because we are rats. Yeah, because you weren't honest men, were you? But you know, I find something interesting. That's why the Bible warns about those who um, loveth, maketh and loveth a lie. That's old King James for their habitual liars. Why is that? Because, you know, there's an old saying, tell a lie, tell it long enough, and you'll begin to believe it. Well, you will, but your conscience won't. And you can rationalize stuff in your life. And I'll tell you, friends, we have dirty souls. And I believe heavy, dirty souls sometimes. 
because of the things that have gone on in our life. Those things that echo in our conscience of the things that we've done wrong. No doubt the things that people have done to you bother you as well. But I think also those things that we have done to others. Now see, this is one of the reasons why I believe the teaching of the entirety of God's word is so important because I believe through the scripture, God comes through with his giant magnifying glass and a flashlight and (coughs) shines on our hearts and says, look, you're my people. I don't want you to have heavy, dirty souls. I want you to be free in me so you'll be freed up so you'll be able to do what the kingdom of God, what God wants you to do. There's nothing more that's, that, I don't know if you've ever been overburdened doing a lot of things like some of you moms, I know you do. You're you're trying to get the dishes done. You're trying to cook the dinner. You're trying, there's a lot of things going on. And then Junior comes in after he's just rolled in a mud mud hole. And you look and you go, I got to do, I got to clean you up and do this. And you get overwhelmed. Well, that's what God doesn't want us to be overwhelmed by the cares of this life. But the only way we're going to do that is if we find ourselves in him. Now, right now, and you say, well, Mike, how does this benefit me? Much in every way. First of all, when we pray, we can say, Lord, and I, I, I can't help but stop of, and stop to think of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He's a little short guy, worked for the government, had a lot of money, but didn't have any friends. And we remember that he wanted to see Jesus and he ran down. He, he asked, which way is Jesus going? He's going down there. So he ran ahead of the way that Jesus was going to go. And the Bible says he climbs up into a sycamore tree. And here's this brightly colored little short dude hanging out of a tree trying to see Jesus. And as Jesus is walking along, he looks up at Zacchaeus and said, Zacchaeus, come down. I must eat dinner at your house tonight. I'm surprised Zacchaeus didn't fall out of the tree. But the thing that really amazes me is Jesus invites himself to people's house for dinner. I like that. I must eat dinner at your house tonight. We remember Jesus begins to minister to him. And one of the things that Zacchaeus says is he said, Lord, if I have wronged anyone, I will pay them back fourfold. By Levitical law, he was only obligated to do it twofold. He did it fourfold, which is much more than what was required, which shows that he was repented. Friends, what I'm saying is that as we examine our life with the Holy Spirit, listen, don't ever be scared of letting the Holy Spirit come to you. Because a lot of times we don't like conviction. Just turn the radio up louder. Just, just, just run a little harder. Just buy more things, whatever it is. But don't let the Holy Spirit come in my life with that magnifying glass and, and, and flashlight. I go, go away. But God does that for a reason, because he wants to get rid of those things that weight us down. And listen, I believe this with all my heart. There is not one thing that God has ever pointed out to you, exposed to you, shown a flashlight on in your life that he will not help you get rid of. In other words, anything that God would ever point out to you, he's there to fix it. You have a daddy in heaven that fixes problems. Thank the Lord. Man, have you lived long enough to know you can't fix the problem on your own? God fixes what's wrong with us. He made you. When we come to him, we come to him just as I am, without one plea, that old song that is played at the end of many of the old videotapes. If you watch uh, a Billy Graham crusade, George Bev Shea would be singing that in the end. Come just as I am, without one plea. Why? Because we come without any, any reservation. Now listen, I've shared this so many times as well. You've heard it many times. Jesus loves you just as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. And God comes through with his flashlight to free you up so your past doesn't haunt you, so you don't make future decisions based upon the things wrong in your life in the past. 
Somebody said one time, if you don't learn from your past, you're doomed to repeat the problem. That's true. Well, why is that? I think there's a couple of reasons. One, you don't have to be 90 years old to have Alzheimer's. Isn't it funny how many scrapes and bumps God's gotten you and me through? And and, and he gets us through these things. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I prayed and you did this for me. And you're so great and so wonderful. And oh, we're having a hallelujah breakdown. Until the next problem comes. And then we go, well, God, where are you? You you don't don't love me. If you love me, I wouldn't be. It's weird how quick I can forget all the track record of God's faithfulness through our lives. The times that we didn't think we were going to make it, God came through, always ministered to us, always got us through the, the tight squeeze, all those things. God got us through it until the next problem comes, and then we go, God, where are you? I've seen this. These brothers, together, guilty conscience, dirty, heavy souls, because they realized what they did was wrong. And to just see them 20 years later in an Egyptian prison where they knew they didn't want to go in the first place. When we go back to verse 1, why do you look at one another? Because that's the last place they wanted to go. Because there was a possibility that Joseph still could be alive somewhere down there. And what if we bump into him in a store? What are we going to say? Well, we find here that uh, three days in prison begins to bring out the truth in these men. And so Joseph said to one of them, excuse me, then Joseph said to them, on the third day, do this and live. If you are honest men, which he knew, he was rubbing it in. If you're honest men, bring your young brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, we are truly guilty of, of concerning our brother, for we saw his anguish, his soul, when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. Reuben answered and said to them, saying, I did not speak to you, saying, do not sin against... Didn't I say to you, don't sin against the boy? But you would not listen. <laughs> Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. Verse 23, so important. Then they did, they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter. So all the while, they're all talking about what they did. Joseph's hearing every word, but when he would speak to them, he'd speak through an interpreter. And he turned, this verse shows something really, I think, one of those great, characteristics of of God, a a picture type of Christ. Verse 24, and he said, man, they had it coming. Man, let's just beat them for a while. No, it doesn't say that, does it? He turned away from them and wept. Then returned to them again and talked with them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. By the way, Simeon was not listed in this conspiracy to do something to um, Joseph back in chapter 37. Simeon was not mentioned. Why they picked him, don't know, or why Joseph picked him. Maybe because he wasn't guilty of those things that his brothers had did. But what is interesting is it says he went out and he cried. Do you know, friends, when you see repentance in someone, you see confession of guilt, you see those things. It's in the Olson nature to go, yeah, they had it coming. But not with Joseph. The Bible says he turned and he wept. This speaks to me of the compassion of Jesus. We remember when Jesus was called to go to where Lazarus had been buried after he heard that he was sick. Lazarus had already died and Jesus shows up. 
And, and Mary comes up to him and said, Jesus, if you'd have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And the Bible says that Jesus wept. Now, was he crying because poor Lazarus is dead? No. He knew he was going to bring him back to life in a few minutes. What was he, what was he weeping over? I, I believe he was weeping over the whole death thing. Like I shared earlier, the first funeral I did, this little baby with everybody crying. And there's no, there's no real explanation when you see a little, little casket this big. I, I still remember it. A little casket, I remember the snow blowing in underneath the tent. And it was starting to, the snow was starting to settle on the people. People were cold and crying. And it was just, I think Jesus just wept over the whole death thing. Because understanding what Adam and Eve did to all of us in the garden, and I'm sure if Adam and Eve hadn't have done it, I would have, or somebody else would have. Because the thing is, it's not within man to live righteously. You need supernatural help to be what God wants you to be. God wants to hold you to a standard, but he's not going to hold you to a standard that he doesn't say, hey, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And the word in the Bible where it says, I'm going to send the comforter to you. The word in the Greek is the word parakletus, which means one who will walk alongside of you. Don't you need someone to walk alongside of you to help you through this life? I do. And the Bible says he'll do that. And he'll walk alongside of you. Joseph went out of the room. He wept. He didn't say, boy, these guys had it coming. I think he just wept when he began to think about everything, how they sold him to slavery, the pain that that was being torn away from his father and from everything that he known, taken to a land that he didn't even know the language, sold as a slave, falsely accused, ends up in prison, and then realizes that it was all part of God's plan to make him the prime minister of the world. Wow. What are you going through today that's got you down, Bubby? God's going to lift you up. The Bible says he lifts up heavy hands. Maybe you have heavy hands today. Then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain, to restore every man's money back in his sack, and to give them provision for their journey. Thus he did for them. And so they loaded their donkeys with grain and departed from there. But when one of them opened his sack on his donkey to give to his donkey to feed it, um, he saw the money. There it was in the mouth of the sack. And he said to his brother, my money has been restored. Uh, there it is in my sack. And their hearts failed them, and they said, they were afraid, saying to one another, what is this that God has done to us? And they went to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, and they told him all that had happened to them. And the man who, who is the Lord of the land spoke to us roughly and took us for spies in the country. But we said to him, we are honest men, for we are not spies. Again, they're going to hold on. You know, it's funny. When you lie so much, you just keep doing that, you know. We're honest men, yeah. Right. After they had just confessed in front of Joseph how they had sold him into slavery, Joseph understanding what they were saying, okay? We are 12 brothers, sons of our father. One is no more. And the youngest is with our father this day in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the country, said to us, By this I'll know that you're honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food for the famine of your households and be gone. And bring your youngest brother to me so that I may know that you are not spies. But if you are honest men... I will deliver your brother to you, and you may trade in the land. It happened as they emptied their sacks. Surprisingly, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they both, when they both and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. I imagine it would be. Isn't it weird how when something weird happens, you kind of go, whoa, whoa what's that? 
We, we went down there. We were put in jail. Uh, we're on our way back. I got to feed my donkey. Oh, oh, hey, this thing's full of money as well as the grain. Uh-oh, what does that mean? And we were already accused of being spies. Boy, I'll tell you, talk about head games. Man, Joseph was spinning one on them. I bet you they didn't. I bet you these guys didn't sleep at all. Now notice he says, And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin away? All these things are against me. Boy, isn't that the way we look at it? Everybody, nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. Guess I'll go eat worms. That's what he's saying. Everything's against me. But it wasn't at all. The Bible says when you judge, when you make a determination, judge a righteous judgment. What's that? After the heart of God, not after the way it appears. Friends, if you are only making decisions upon what you see, I don't care whether you're buying a house, a car, getting married, whatever it might be. If you're judging only according to what you see, you will be shortchanged. The Bible says when you make a judgment, make a righteous judgment. That's after the heart of God. How does God see this? You say, but Mike, I don't know what God, what that, might, what that would be. Then well, this is what we have church for on Sunday morning. We whoop up on it. You begin to ask friends. Uh, one of the sisters in our church was going to buy a house. She said, I, I don't know if it's a good house or not. It was built over a hundred years ago. I can't imagine what the pipes look like in that place. And I said, well, before you buy it, let's go take a look at it up close. Let's look at the, the foundation. Because after about 100 years, concrete begins to turn kind of back to sand a little bit. And all these things can be an issue. But the thing is, what I really appreciate is that when we realize that maybe I don't know what I need to know, a righteous judgment causes me to trust my brothers and sisters and say, hey, could you come and take a look at this for me? You see, we watch out for one another. That's what a family does. Hey, honey, you're getting too close to the edge of the canyon. Come back here. Oh, no, just let him go out there and stand on the edge. No, that's not the way we do it. When you see somebody that's in danger or potentially going to spend money for something, we watch after one another. That's what a family's supposed to do. That's what God's called us to do. All things are against me. Well, you know, When you're by yourself, I believe the devil can tell you all kinds of lies. That's why we come together as fellowship. We get together in God's word. And you know what we begin to find out? I ain't alone. Not everything is against me. God even uses things that are weird to bring about his will. I like that about God. Do you know why? God is bigger than the things going on around me, around you. So what maybe looks like a bad thing, and in fact, every one of those things that happened to Joseph looked like a bad thing, it was the very best thing for him to become the prime minister of the world, only behind Pharaoh. All things are against me. Verse 37. Then Reuben spoke to his father saying, kill my two sons if I do not bring to you and bring him back uh, and, uh, and put him in my, in, in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, my son shall not go with you down to Egypt, literally, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you would, will, you would bring down my gray hair Uh, with sorrow to the grave. He was still so brokenhearted over Joseph that his real, full mom and dad brother, Benjamin, he said, if something happens to him, I'll never do it. Now, Now, Joseph already said, I don't want to see you again unless you bring Benjamin to me. So what, what Joseph did is he shut the food supply off until they brought Benjamin back. Now, We're not going to have time to get into chapter 43, so let's read just a couple of verses. (laughs) Do you know, you know, there there is a a lot of people in in literary um, readings 
to say this story in the Bible is probably one of the best stories ever recorded. And what's really amazing about it, it's not a story, it's what really happened. Notice he says here, verse 1 of 43, Now the famine was severe in the land, and it came to pass that they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt. Meanwhile, Brother Simeon is still, is still in an Egyptian prison all this time. They're eating food, we're having a good time, Simeon's in jail. Oh well, it's really weird that Jacob didn't care about Simeon. Isn't that a little bit weird? Why? I I care about Benjamin. I'm not going to let him go. But my other son, who's in an Egyptian prison someplace, because all this guy, Pharaoh dude, wanted to see was Benjamin. Yeah, we'll just leave him there. There's some things in the Bible I don't understand. That's one. Okay. Came to pass. They'd eaten up of the grain they'd got from Egypt. That their father said to him, go back and buy us a little food. But Judas spoke to him and saying, the man solemnly warned us saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. We'll stop there for the day. He said, I don't want to see you unless you bring him back here. I'm amazed, friends, on God's grace in our lives. There is so much more than just having your sins forgiven as a Christian. It's understanding God's divine providence in your life that even the things the devil meant for your harm, God uses them for the advancement of what he's going to do in your life. I don't always understand why I had to go through some of the things in my life I had to go through. But I do know this. Those lessons later on in my life were so valuable and so important that I had not had that horrible experience go on in my life, I would have never been prepared for what was ahead. And that's for you. Remember, God is bigger than the things that you've done wrong. And he's bigger than the things that have been done to you by people that are wrong. He's bigger than those things. When you become a Christian, it's not just apple pie and the sweet by and by. It's a life worth living now. People have said, why is God such a God of miracles in the Bible and not today? Because we don't live in Christ to need a miracle. Do you think that was a miracle when his brothers come straggling in, bowing down to him just as his dream said they would? Was that an accident or divine providence? As a Christian, when you accept Christ as your Savior, a couple of things you have to remember. The day you accept Christ as your Savior, you become God's property. I like that. He owns you. Now, everybody's owned by somebody. It may be the devil. It may be the Lord. But everybody serves somebody. Who do you serve today? And I believe this is why... When we give our life to Christ, God changes our destiny from hell to heaven, gives us eternal life, and gives us a life worth living here now, where he shows you who he is in spite of what goes on around you. Hey, listen, what a great God we serve. You think about that for a minute. You, as a Christian today, cannot lose. Do you understand? You can't lose. You can try to lose. You won't lose. But Mike, you don't understand. People have done a lot of really mean things to me. Yeah, I know. Joseph, yeah, too, ends up prime minister. I wonder who you're going to be. What is the devil trying to stop? Because he knows the potential that you are, knowing God is still bigger than he is, but I'm going to try everything I can do to trip him up, to cause him to give up, because of the great things that I have for them. This morning, if you're not a Christian, you are alone. Bottom line. You're alone. Oh, no, man. I got my friends. Yeah, I know those kind of friends. When you're in high school, you got money, you got a car, until daddy takes the T-bird away. And then everybody leaves you. They're calling somebody else that has the car to haul them around. 
It's called conditional love. A lot of times people mix that up for real, true, romantic love. I love, I love what you do for me. Well, that, that ain't real love. You're alone. And that loneliness will cause you to make decisions that are absolutely insane. I have found people make decisions out of fear. And you go, what in the world were you thinking? Well, I never thought the right guy or the right girl would come along. So I just married this one. (coughs) Being about your daddy's business. Seeking him. Letting him work it out. You jump. In my life, I can tell you one thing I know for sure. I've never regretted anything I've done for God. And I can tell you this. I know for sure. Every decision in my life I made out of fear was the wrong one. Maybe think about it for a minute. Maybe you'll recognize that yourself. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a boldness and a sound mind. Live in that. If you're not a Christian, you're alone. You're fighting all this stuff on your own. I don't know how you even sleep at night. And then to think about eternity and burning in hell forever. Wow, that would keep you awake, wouldn't it? How much better is it to just come and say, Lord, here am I. I've not been what you want me to be. Repent of your foolish ways of defining life yourself and living for what's going to last. If you've never prayed, we're going to pray right now. Those listening on the radio and on the internet, you can pray along. But we're going to pray and ask God to do a life change for you here today. And if you're a Christian, you've been walking on the wrong side of the tracks, it's time for you to come home. That Holy Spirit's been pulling you back, pulling you back because he's got the best for you. But but it's because God let me down and this happened in my life. And to listen, God's bigger than that and he'll fix it. So we're going to pray and you can ask God to change your life right now. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I don't want to be alone anymore. From this day forward, I confess you as my Savior. I believe you died on the cross for me. And your blood covered my sins. And so now I ask you, I want to be your child. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. You rose from the dead for me to give me new life every day. And so give me boldness to love and to be and do what you want me to do. And thank you for eternal life. In Jesus' name. Amen.